Obedience always requires action. And we've seen a glorious demonstration of obedience here this morning. What a privilege it was to be part of this service. Oh, I got one more thing to do. There we go. Today we're going to continue our study of the life of David. And the passages that we're going to deal with today are 1 Samuel chapters 23, 24, 26, and also Psalm 54. It was nearly 15 years between the day that David was anointed king of Israel before he began his reign as king. God used the intervening years to test and to grow David <clears throat> into the man God wanted him to be before he came king. Today we're going to look at a couple of tests that David went through and um, to, again in this growth process. And I've called those two tests the obedience test. Now isn't that interesting? I picked this topic or that title several days ago not even thinking about baptism coming up. And the other test is the integrity test. The obedience test uh, concerns uh, the life of David as we see it in chapter 23. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 23 begins with David being informed that the Philistines have attacked the city of Kilah and that they have looted the granaries of Kilah. Now David was not king at the time, but yet David consulted God and asked, should I go liberate Kilah? And the answer was, yes. Now, obeying God would put David and his men of 400 right in between the forces of the Philistines and those of King Saul's. Militarily, that's not a good place to be. And uh, the men were a little bit apprehensive when they were informed of this. In fact, oops, I'm sorry, I forgot that one was there. Uh, Kyla is right up here. You can see it's right in between Philista and Judah. And so it was right on the border there. So to calm the fears of his men, excuse me, he, uh, so the men came to him and they said, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kilah against the ranks of the Philistines? And they were right. It was a frightful looking uh, affair coming up. So to calm the fears of his men, David went back to God and he says, Shall I go up against Kilah? God said, Yes. And this time, David and his men attacked Kilah, and God gave them a resounding victory, and they took away all the animals and and uh, slew the Philistines. Now David did right in the sight of God. Before he proceeded, he asked God for direction. And God answered. But a test is not done until we act on the direction that we received. So David faithfully did what God had asked of him, and play, even though it placed his men in a dangerous position. After the battle, David remained in the city of Dachilah. There's no indication in scripture that God told him to do this, but it makes sense. He had just liberated the city. It was a walled city. It was a place where he could remain and be fairly comfortable, maybe get a little bit of a break from always moving around. 
But a walled city like Kyla can also be a liability. If a, a large army lays siege to it, it now becomes a trap. Saul knew that the throne would be taken from him and given to David, but he was still at chasing after David on a daily basis. Upon hearing that David was in Kyla, he realized that David was now trapped in a city, and he thought this was God's blessing on him. So he got a group of men together, and he was going to come and trap David in the city of Kyla. Now, when David heard that Saul was on the move, he asked Abiathar to bring the ephod that he had brought with him when he escaped from the sword of Doeg. You remember Doeg was the man at Saul's insistent who had killed the 300, excuse me, the 85 priests at Nob. The ephod that he brought was one of the most important items of the priestly garment. It was attached to the breastplate, which also contained the Urim and the Thummim, and the ephod was part of seeking divine guidance. So David inquired of God if Saul was coming to Kila and if Kila would betray him. The answer to both questions was yes. And so David and his men left Kila. And it, in verse 13 of chapter 24, it says, he went wherever they could go. You see, Judah wasn't a safe place for David to go, but God told him to go, so he did. It is ironic that the people of Kila, whom he had just liberated, were so quick to turn on him. Verse 14 tells us that David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness of Ziph. And at the end of the verse it says, And Saul sought him every day, and, uh, but God did not give him into his hand. He sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Now Psalm 54 is written at this time. And as we read Psalm 54, we're going to get the thoughts and the feelings of David. And uh, verse 1 says, O oh God, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ears to the words of my mouth. In his distress, David called upon God. The solution would not come by David's strength, but it would only come by the strength of the name and character of God. David knew that he was the anointed king, or he was the anointed next king of Israel, and he was waiting on God to make that possible. For that to happen, he needed God's help. He asked God to vindicate him by his power. Again, he acknowledged his inability to deal with the situation and that he would need God's help. But God was vindicating David on a daily basis. God was keeping him safe from Saul, who was hunting after him. In his prayer, David asked God to hear him and to listen to his words intently. The phrase there in verse 2 says, give ears to my word. That's the phrase that means, God, listen to me intently. And when he prayed that, David expected an answer, and he got an answer. Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 
in the tough situation in which David found himself, God was hearing and he was answering him on a daily basis. Saul, on the other hand, was misinterpreting the events of the day. He was trying to do it in his own strength, and in his own strength, he was failing. Now, we have the same privilege that David has, or had, to bring our requests to God. In fact, God encourages us to do so. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. When we come like David did, he responds with grace and mercy and he gives us help in time of need. But we need to come to him. The wilderness of Ziph is located 15 miles to the east of Kila. It's in a destitute area of Judah. It was tough country, and David found himself in tough circumstances. So Israel's kind of small. The distance here is 15 miles, not very long, not very far. So he was in the wilderness of Ziph. He later moved to the wilderness of Maon and then finally to the wilderness of En Gedi. So all of the acts that we see from here on out occurs in this general region right here on the west side of the Dead Sea. David was in tough circumstances, but he was where God had placed him to be. Now, having to be on guard at all times, it would have been easy to become discouraged. God knew this. And I believe that that's why God sent Jonathan to David at this time. He says that he was sent to strengthen his hand in God. Other translations says he was sent to encourage him in God. Or to encourage him to stay strong in his faith in God. Jonathan, Jonathan assured David that uh, Saul would not find him. He assured him that David was going to be the next king, even though it looked kind of doubtful from time to time. He also assured him that when David did become king, he would be at his right hand, supporting him. And then he assured him that Saul knew all of that. The two of them again made a covenant between the two before God, and this was the last recorded meeting of David and Jonathan, for Jonathan was killed later on. Jonathan responded to David's need even in the face of danger. A lesser friend might have found reason not to go. When we see need in others, we need to go. We need to encourage them and strengthen them. It may not be convenient, and it usually isn't. Okay, But when God says go, we need to be obedient and go as well. On the flip side... If you have a need, you need to allow other people to use their gifts to strengthen and encourage you as well. Jonathan was a good friend. In Psalm 54, again, verse 4, it says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness, put an end to them. 
In the face of grave danger, David expressed his confidence in God. He gave testimony to God's help in the past, his sustaining grace in the present, and his confidence that in the future, God would judge those who were perceiving him. David acknowledged that it was God's judge to, uh, judge, job to judge and uh, to assign the judgment, judgment to those who opposed him. David rested in the fact that God would do it. David passed the obedience test, and God blessed him and met all his needs, both for physical and for emotional health. But obedience is not a one-time-and-done proposition. Obedience needs to be a continual process. Faithful, over, obe, faithful obedience over time is what God demands and deserves. That was true for David. That is true for us. The integrity test. Next. There are two incidents that showed the true character of David in chapters 24 and 26. Both were initiated by the Ziphites who came to Saul and told him that uh, David was staying in the hill of Hakalah, which is about four miles to the east of Ziph. David writes in Psalm 54, For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Now the threat to David came from strangers, the Ziphites. The Ziphites were of the tribe of Judah, as was David. But they treated him like a stranger, and they turned their back on him. More than turning their back on him, they were actively trying to turn David over to Saul. That is, they sought men's approval rather than God's approval. David knew that Saul was trying to kill him and that both the Ziphites and Saul were not following God. And that was the reason for his troubles that he was having at this time. He clearly laid this out before the Lord in prayer. And he had complete confidence in him that God would put an end to it. Saul continued his pursuit of David to the wilderness of Maon, and in Maon, he nearly trapped David. They were on opposite sides of the mountain. Saul split his large force in half and went around the mountain and just about ready to trap David when word came to Saul that the Philistines had attacked Judah. And so Saul left. He dealt with the Philistines. By the time he got back, he heard that David was now in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, En Gedi was an oasis uh, with freshwater springs, waterfalls, lush vegetation. There were many caves in the area in which you could hide. It was high above the Dead Sea that you see in the background here, and it provided protection, water, and a natural lookout. Here's another scene close by. You can see the rugged nature of the country that David was moving in. And here is a sea. Here's a, a picture taken from on high to look these. These are compliments of Dave Wilson. 
and uh, who was just there recently, and I asked him if he could share a few, and I appreciate that very much. All right, uh, so we move on now to chapter 24. And uh, in chapter 4, uh, Saul's in pursuit of David, and he comes to the sheepfolds. That is that region around En Gedi. And so Saul went to a cave to relieve himself. Unbeknownst to Saul, though, David's men were deeper in the cave. And the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemies into your hand, and you shall do to him as, seems, as it seems good to you. What a temptation this would have been to David. Here was his opportunity to kill Saul, the man who was chasing him, to kill him. But David would have none of it. You see, David understood that Saul was still God's anointed king. And as God's anointed king, he would not and could not lay his hand on him. And he persuaded the men that were with him to do the same. But while Saul was in the cave, he did sneak up on him and cut a small piece off the corner of his robe, which he later regretted. Now Saul left the cave, and David left shortly thereafter. And so Saul, David called to Saul, and he addressed him as my lord the king. He addressed him, the Lord's anointed. He prostrated himself in front of David, and he called him my father. Even though Saul was trying to kill him, David respected the man because he was God's anointed king. All right, so David addressed Saul at this point, and David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt me my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. David confronted Saul with the truth. He refuted the claims of Saul's advisors that he was trying to harm Saul by showing him that piece that he had cut off his robe. Even though he had the opportunity to kill him, he did not harm him because he was the Lord's anointed. David sought no personal revenge against Saul and the wrong that he had done because he was willing to let God judge between the two of them. That is... God was going to have to remove Saul for David to become king. God was going to have to do that, not David. Verse 16 of chapter 24 says, As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day that you have dealt well with me. 
in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Now Saul appeared to repent of his evil. He certainly assessed his actions correctly. And he even spoke a blessing upon David's life. I found this quote uh, by David Gusick. It says, Many times a person repents and claims to recognize their sinful ways, just like Saul did. But the validity of repentance and a changed heart isn't demonstrated by the emotion or sincerity of a moment. It is demonstrated by the ongoing direction of one's life. Let me repeat again. The validity of repentance and a changed heart isn't demonstrated by the emotion or sincerity of a moment. It is demonstrated by the ongoing direction of one's life. Time would tell if Saul's repentance was genuine. But you know, this is a challenge for us as well. As we deal in, with sin in our lives, we often repent and we come and ask and confess that to the Lord. But we need to check down the road. Is the direction of our life such that it shows that that repentance was genuine? If it isn't, then we still have some work to do in that area with God's help. Later again, uh, Saul pursued David again with 3,000 men. David at this time may have had 600 men. This account is found in, in chapter 26. Saul was camped at Hakalah, and David and Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? <clears throat> Abishai encouraged David to let him kill Saul. Bad advice. If he had done that, that surely would have caused a commotion. Chances are, and uh, Abner and, and the men around him would surely have killed them, and Satan would have won the day. The temptation was probably more difficult than the first time this proposition had been presented to David. Abishai knew that David would not raise his hand against Saul. So he said, let me do it for you. And then he said, I will only strike him once. He thought this would make it easier for Dave to, David to approve the action. That is the way Satan tempts us. If we resist the temptation the first time, he comes back a second time. He makes it look easier and more palatable. Okay. Surely it would not be as bad if Abishai struck Saul as if David did it. But David would have none of that as well. Instead, he tells Abishai, take Saul's spear and water jug, and then let's go. And they left undetected. They crossed over 
the mountain and stood a large distance from Saul, and David calls to Abner. And I think he kind of chided him in a little bit, and he really accused Abner of dereliction of duty, of not protecting Saul. And he showed him the spear and the water jug to prove it. That exchange must have wakened Saul, and so David begins to address Saul again. And he says, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the king hear the words of his servants. If it is of the Lord who stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day, that I should not have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Saul did not answer David's questions. Perhaps it was to show respect that David kind of gave him an out. He said, if this is the Lord's will, I will accept it and I will honor him. He says, but if it's of men trying to thwart God's purpose for my life, let him be cursed. David showed no malice to uh, Saul at this time. I believe this indicates that in his heart he had forgiven Saul of all the wrong that he had done against him. David was ready to move on. Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and made a great mistake. He had heard words similar to that before. And yet, here is Saul with 3,000 men pursuing him again. So David answered him this way. He said, here's the spear, the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of tribulation. David totally turns the conversation here. He does not ask God to judge between him and Saul. He does not ask God to um, judge Saul for what he has done, as he had done previously. Again, I think what you can see here is this is David talking in a way that a man who has forgiven his enemy would talk. I think he had pity on Saul. I think he saw him as a lost soul in desperate need of God. But he had forgiven him. Instead of focusing on what Saul was doing or Saul was saying, David put the whole situation into God's hands. He fully trusted God for what was going to come in the future. Psalm 54 verse 6 says, With a freewill offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Reflecting on God's faithfulness, David was able to let go of his fear, maybe his um, hate for Saul, perhaps, 
in the present circumstances and focus on God and worship him. He gave thanks for the good name of God or the character of God. He thanked God for his help and deliverance in the past. It says he looked at his enemies with satisfaction, knowing that God would give him strength, and he was able to look at his enemies calmly, knowing that God would act justly. Now, how did David find peace in the midst of a situation like this? Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. David had laid everything before the Lord. He worshipped God for who he was. He worshipped God for what he had done and what he was going to do. And God gave him that peace in circumstances that looked overwhelming. This week I listened to Chip Ingram uh, as I was driving to an early morning meeting. And uh, he talked about this verse and he had some observations there that I liked. And so I'm going to include them here. He said, you know, when the world defines peace, they define it as abstinence of disturbance, hostility, and strife. And that is part of the definition of peace. But he also said God's peace is more than this. It is something that God acts, adds to our life, not something that he takes away. It is peace of mind, body, and emotions in a difficult situation. It is harmony in relationships. It's the realization that I am in line with the Creator, what He made me to do. And it is victory over my enemies. The peace in a situation like this is unexplainable. But it is God given us what we could not achieve on our own. David passed the integrity test. He rejected the bad advice of his men. David was twice tempted to take actions into his own hands and kill Saul. He rejected it. He showed great respect for God's anointed. He even repented for having cut off the little piece of cloth off Saul's robe because God convicted him that this was really an affront on his anointed. He forgave Saul the wrong that he had been doing and was doing, and he sought no personal revenge, but he was willing to wait on God to settle the issue. I'm sure this was a difficult time for Saul, but Saul knew in his heart that David was going to be the next king. To his credit, though, from this time on, Saul did not seek to kill David. The test of obedience and integrity is a test that we face daily. Obedience and integrity should be part of our character, and it should be visible to those around us. As we close today... I'm going to share two short passages of scripture. 
which I believe if we would keep those in mind on a daily basis would make a, the uh, leading lives of obedience and integrity easier. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do it, do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen, if you excuse me, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Ephesians 4, chapter, or verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these two examples in David's life. Father, Father, where he faithfully followed you in obedience, and Father, where he lived a life that demonstrated his integrity. Father, may we be like David in the week to come. May we strive, Father, to obey. May we strive to lead lives of integrity. And Father, we pray that you will use that platform for us to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person who was baptized and their desire, Father, to walk with you in obedience. Pray, Father, that they will lean on you for that. Father, we thank you for the time of fellowship that we're going to enjoy now. We thank you for the food that's been provided for us, Father. We ask that you bless it to nourish us, Father, and us to serve you better. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.